Chapter Ten of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Ten. What do you know about this? Brandon Mountford's senses were still confused by the horror of his discovery when he saw a light approaching slowly and indeterminately among the tall, dark fir trunks, now appearing, now disappearing, as the man who carried it moved circuitously about. The position of the light near the ground and its oscillation indicated a stable lantern. Whoever carried it, there was the promise of light, light which in this crisis meant help. Brandon tried to call to the man, but his lips were dry and dumb. His convulsed throat could shape no sound. He wanted to shout his loudest, but the effort produced only a hoarse whisper, and again he felt the iron hand pressing down his brain, benumbing every muscle, paralyzing every nerve. His knees bent under him, and he sank at the side of the dead woman, whose face he feared to see. The dark hair, the dark hair, there lay his hope. It could not be Sybil. He stretched out a tremulous hand, and laid his cold fingers lightly over that colder countenance, trying to read those features as a blind man would have read them. He felt the marble skin, the parted lips, the widely opened eyes. But the blind man's sensitive touch was wanting. His hand told him nothing. It gave him only the dismal assurance of death. And all this time the light went wavering in and out among the dark fir trunks, receding advancing. Again he tried to shout, but the muscles of his throat were tightened to choking, and soundless. Thank God the light came nearer, close. Either his low moan of almost voiceless agony was heard, or the lantern had revealed that whiteness amidst the dark underwood for the man who carried the light came running to the spot with an exclamation of horror. Look here, Joe. She's fainted. She must have been lying here ever so long. The two men came closer. The lantern light shone upon the dead face. Yes, it was Mary Arnold. A strange, half-savage sound burst from Brandon's lips, an inarticulate cry which was almost a laugh. The relief, the rapture of knowing that this dead clay was not Sybil, made him, for that one wild moment, cruelly indifferent to the fate of any other woman upon earth. Lord help us! I'm afeard it's something worse than a faint. 
remarked the other man in a scared voice while tom held the lantern over the dead face and the blood-stained whiteness of the gown and then slowly turned the light full upon the man who knelt beside the corpse it's mr mountford he said wonderingly do you know anything about this piece of work sir no brandon answered like a man talking in his sleep when did you find her i don't know oh come sir you must know when you found her us two have been looking for her ever since about nine o'clock they're all in a dreadful way up at the house and nobody knowed what had got you neither miss higginson was like mad with fright she's been roving about the gardens for over an hour hunting for miss arnold and she went back to the house to satisfy sir joseph come sir can't you throw no light upon this ghastly business it looks terrible like murder the man looked from the marble face upon the ground to the living face staring down at it and almost as much like marble in its colorless rigidity darkest suspicions lurked in the minds of the two stablemen as they looked from the dead to the living and back again from the living to the dead with true north country caution they suppressed all further exclamations all comments on the hideous act and the wonder of it but with furtive glances at brandon as he knelt by the corpse they began in low voices and with a matter-of-fact air to discuss what ought to be done don't move her said tom dane the elder of the two stablemen she mustn't be touched till the constable has seen her who's to fetch the constable whispered joe looking at brandon you'd better run to the stables and send a lad on horseback and then come back to me as sharp as you can we mustn't lose sight of him the last sentence was in a whisper but their caution seemed needless for brandon had the look of a man who neither heard nor heeded the things around him you ain't afeard to stop along of her asked joe also in a whisper no i ain't afeard look sharp and send up to the house for mr urquhart same time and bring him along here he'll have to break it to sir joseph poor old gentleman he won't get over it easy muttered tom dane standing with the lantern in his hand looking down at the dead face the white raiment dyed with that dreadful stain which spread over breast and shoulders changing the whiteness to a hideous red loathsome to the touch horrible to the sight he asked no further questions of the man he found stooping over the corpse and whose answers had been strange enough to alarm the least suspicious mind his glances followed brandon as he lifted himself slowly from his crouching position beside the corpse and moved a pace or two backward at the faintest suggestion of flight the stableman 
would have laid violent hands on this guest of sir joseph's of whom tom dane knew very little save that he had always behaved as a gentleman in his relations with the stable acknowledging every service with a gentlemanlike tip which was more than could be said of mr urquhart brandon moved no further than the nearest fir-tree and stood leaning against the rough brown trunk inert and motionless he remained in the same listless attitude for an interval that seemed very long to dane who shifted and fidgeted about among the fern and brambles and changed the position of his lantern every now and then looking at the dead face as if he almost hoped to see life return to those clay cold lineaments what o'clock is it brandon asked suddenly breaking the silence which weighed upon tom dane's senses like a nightmare dream past ten sir past ten and i left the house before dinner what have i been doing where have i been in this wood this wood all the time the words were spoken dreamily in vague self-questioning brandon was struggling against a headache which made speech agony tom dane put down the whole thing as a clever bit of acting oh come now sir he cried forgetting his determination to say nothing you know where you've been and what you've been doing and how this poor young woman came by her death you know a good deal more about it than i should like to know and i don't ask you no questions and i don't want you to commit yourself as the saying is but shamming ain't no good with tom dane that cock won't fight brandon looked fixedly at the speaker but made no reply that direct yet vacant gaze was the look of one who hears without comprehending but the groom having made up his mind that this man was a murderer saw only a studied assumption of lunacy this time seemed interminable to tom dane before his quick ear caught the rustling sound of footsteps among the thick growth of primroses and daffodils that carpeted the little wood and yet it was less than half an hour before brennan reappeared accompanied by hubert urquhart they had run most of the way from the house and both were breathless the gentleman the more so doubtless as the more sensitive in frame and temperament urquhart bent down to look at the corpse gingerly as if fearing to spoil the spotlessness of his evening clothes by contact with that dead form stained with the dark stream in which the young life had ebbed away yes it is miss arnold poor girl poor girl what does it all mean what troubles could she have had to bring her to such a pass as this why should she kill herself he muttered i don't think she did kill herself sir said dane 
looks a precious sight more like will for murder than suicide to my fancy i did not to be talking about my fancies perhaps but i've had an ugly time of it in this here wood and a man can't help thinking when he's left face to face with a murdered corpse hold your tongue tom you mustn't talk about murder very well sir i dare say you're right but i shall think all the more urquhart turned to brandon looking at him with keenest scrutiny what do you know about this mountford he asked shortly nothing i found her lying there that's all i know it was dark i saw a figure in a white gown lying among the bracken i thought at first with a shudder that it was sibyl i could not see the face it was only when they brought the lantern that i was sure it was marie arnold but where had you been all the evening they waited dinner for you and marie i was late myself but i was in the drawing-room at a quarter past eight and we did not go to dinner until half-past where were you what were you doing where was i here in this wood what was i doing lying like a log as unconscious as that dead girl i can just remember falling against one of those trees and then it was all darkness if there was thought or sensation in my brain i remember nothing of that i thought or felt it was a fit of some kind then i suppose yes it was a fit not the first but by far the longest lapse of consciousness i have ever had i did not know you were subject to such things they are not things a man cares to talk about but you needn't trouble about my malady that is just a minor detail just now what we have to find out is how this poor girl came by her death the clouds were clearing from his brain in the manner and aspect he was rapidly becoming the mr mountford of everyday life whom tom dane knew and respected was he really recovering from an interval of lunacy the stableman wondered or had he made up his mind that shamming was useless now that clear-headed mr urquhart was here to investigate the hideous business you had a lapse of consciousness you say said urquhart have you any idea how long it lasted i'm not very clear on that point i had been feeling ill ever since the morning but i was worried and my mind was too occupied to allow me to take much notice of my own sensations had it been otherwise i might have suspected that the fit was coming might have been wise enough to shut myself in my own room but i had a good de deal to think about and i am a man who wants space and movement for thought i may have roamed around the room roamed about the wood for a longish time I know I rather expected to meet you on your way from the river. As for the time, all I know is that the sun had not gone down. 
did you see anything of miss arnold while you were in the wood no the last i saw of miss arnold was when she and miss higginson left the tennis lawn together about an hour after luncheon have you finished your interrogation urquhart i wonder you didn't begin by warning me that anything i might say would be used against me by and by i wonder that you should wonder at my asking questions in the face of such a mystery as that retorted urquhart pointing to the figure on the ground a mystery yes you are right there it is a mystery said mountford pressing his hand upon his brow the troubled look came back to his face when he dropped his hand from his brow there was a dazed expression in his eyes and a nervous movement about his lips he walked a few paces away and seated himself upon a felled trunk which lay across the tangle of bracken and ivy he rested his elbows on his knees and let his head droop forward upon his clasped hands and thus in dead silence waited for the next act in the tragedy urquhart lighted a cigar and walked slowly up and down a little bit of pathway near which the dead girl lay this narrow track between the fir trunks was not the most frequented way across the wood but it was the nearest way from the river to the gardens and it was the path which the salmon fishers had generally used the spot where marie lay was not more than twenty yards from the footpath the village constable arrived with a coast guardsman to help him in maintaining authority should he find the situation too much for him single-handed the groom told him that they had got the murderer and it would be his duty to take him into custody there was a lock-up a very old building close to the sea which had done duty in the past chiefly as a place of detention for smugglers which still smelt of cordage and tar the constable approached the scene with a stolid business-like air and knelt down to investigate the attitude and appearance of that marble figure from whose aspect the other two men shrank with a thrill of pain it was a ghastly thing to see the deliberate way in which the official lifted the clay-cold hand and noted the wounds on breast and shoulder it's a bad business he said rising slowly and looking from urquhart standing erect and tall at a few paces from the corpse to mountfort sitting in a crouching attitude with his knees drawn up to his chin pale as death with roughened hair and soddened garments stained and blotched with moss and clay urquhart had not stopped to put on an overcoat he was in evening dress smart and trim shirt perfectly fitting hair well brushed hands showing white in the gleam of the lantern a man evidently called away from the dinner-table and all the amenities of life to look upon this mysterious horror the constable contemplated him with respect not unmingled with admiration how different a creature looked this other man sitting on the fallen tree with brooding brow and lowered eyelids and clenched hands in which the swollen veins showed like cordage 
clenched, yes, and darkened with a stain, which the constable's keen eyes noted as he drew near with lifted lantern, examining Brandon Mountford with an insolent deliberation. "'What do you know about this, sir?' he asked roughly. "'Nothing,' answered Brandon, lifting his bloodshot eyes. "'Nothing more than your own eyes can tell you. "'I found her lying there as she lies now, "'an hour ago, two hours, three hours, I don't know. "'It seems an eternity. eternity. "'You are the third person who has questioned me.' "'There'll have to be a good many more questions asked "'before this here business is done with,' said the constable." He stepped aside and took counsel with Urquhart, keeping an eye upon Brandon all the time. He felt that this gentleman in evening dress, with calm and easy bearing, was a person in authority, and the best adviser he could have. Does Sir Joseph know? Sir Joseph knows nothing. I shall go straight to him, when we have settled who is to carry her. He could not bring himself to utter the dreadful word which would better have described that burden to the house. I shall hurry on before and tell them. But we mustn't let him go, sir, whispered the policeman with a look which indicated Brandon. Let him go? Urquhart echoed with a movement of surprise. Who says he wants to go? "'Nobody, sir, but he might cut and run, you see. "'Things look very black against him. "'It'll be my duty to lock him up. "'Do you know who he is, man?' "'Mr. Mountford, a cousin of Miss Higginson's.' "'I can't help that, sir, not if he was her brother. "'If he's done it, he'll have to answer for what he's done. "'There can't be no favor in a murder case. "'I'm bound to arrest him.' "'What? Before the inquest?' "'Yes, sir. We might, mightn't be able to find him after the inquest. Cool as he seems, sitting there waiting, his hands are all over blood. There can't be no doubt he's done it. He seems dazed like. But if there is a guilt in a man's face, he's the man who did it. I shall have to arrest him, sir. It's my duty.' "'Then I suppose you must do your duty. "'But the thing is absurd. "'As for stains on his hands, "'well, he found her lying there, "'and touched her, no doubt, "'in the surprise and horror of the discovery. "'He might as well just arrest me.' "'He won't be locked up long if he ain't guilty, sir. "'The inquest will be tomorrow, I dare say, "'and then the truth may come out.' I don't believe she did it herself, poor young lady. I am going to Sir Joseph. Do what you like, only make arrangements for the removal to the house. The request was accentuated by a shrieking glance toward the spot where Marie Arnold lay, and then Hubert Urquhart started on his errand of dread and walked with rapid footsteps toward the shrubbery gate. He had been, or had seemed, calm and unshaken throughout the discovery of the crime. But at the thought of what he had to do, 
cold drops of sweat broke out upon his forehead and his knees felt weak and tremulous as he hurried unsteadily along i don't like having to tell him he muttered to himself it's hard lines for that old man he was very fond of her sir joseph and sibyl were at the end of the terrace nearest the shrubbery evidently waiting for news of the missing was it about marie or about brandon that she was most anxious urquhart wondered as he approached father and daughter have they found her sir joseph asked eagerly there was no need that marie's name should be spoken there could be no question as to the subject of his anxiety yes something has happened i must see you alone urquhart answered in a low voice putting his arm through sir joseph's as he spoke and drawing him gently away from sibyl what is it she cried following them distractedly why am i not to know what has happened to them to brandon to marie speak out urquhart speak out mr urquhart i will know the worst she caught hold of his arm he had never seen her look so agitated she stood by his side looking at him with questioning eyes pale breathless resolute sir joseph for god's sake the truth is too horrible i can't i can't tell her speak out man cried sir joseph fiercely leave off torturing us what is it an accident a calamity is she hurt yes badly hurt urquhart nodded dead yes oh god my poor girl my beautiful marie my sweet kind loving girl dead great god in heaven how could she come by her death that is a mystery which will have to be solved brandon mountford founder in the fir wood stabbed to death whether it was suicide or murder it was murder foul murder why should she kill herself she hadn't a care she knew she was loved fondly loved by an old man who could deny her nothing if she had not the first place she knew that she was very dear to me she was content some incarnate devil has killed her where is she let me see her he rushed toward the path by which urquhart had come urquhart following him closely sibyl sank down upon a garden seat faint and helpless dead did death always come like this as a horrible surprise amidst the flesh and warmth of life dead murdered they said but who could have killed her who in all this wide wicked world could have had any motive for murdering marie arnold suicide yes that was more likely to sibyl who had youth's proud contempt for life 
it seemed not impossible that marie should have killed herself she remembered that despairing look in her adopted sister's face as she turned from brandon to sibyl in the garden a look to which sibyl as to brandon had been a revelation if she loved him as sibyl loved him and knew that he was cold to her love might not this passionate soul have been have revolted against the burden of life and flung it off like a worn-out garment this is how youth thought of youth age argued that there could have been nothing wanting in a life so sheltered and cared for as marie's had been the dismal procession came to a side door opening into a lobby at the bottom of the servant's staircase a mattress and coverlet had been fetched from the nearest lodge and the dead girl had been carried decently by four of the stablemen while the constable and the coast guardsman had escorted brandon mountford to the lock-up did he make any fuss about going urquhart asked tom dane not he sir went like a lamb didn't seem to care what they did with him i'm afraid it's a true bill mr urquhart it looks bad tom but there's no knowing this was on the terrace after tom's work was finished and the dreadful burden had been carried to marie arnold's bedroom the spacious and prettily the spacious and prettily furnished bedroom of which she had been so proud a room full of gifts from sir joseph and his daughter and now sir joseph was sitting by the bed while the family doctor bent over the corpse examining the wounds that had killed her she didn't kill herself do you snap questioned the old man in a voice that was but just audible not she sir joseph she has been murdered savagely murdered there are three wounds one near the collarbone deep but not fatal one piercing the right lung one in the heart instant death have they found the knife i don't know ah i hope they will find it a deer stalker's knife or something in that line i take it poor girl a sad loss sir joseph my heart bleeds for you such a fine handsome girl cruelly sacrificed i hope they find the fiend who did it the doctor laid the sheet lightly over the disfigured form and drew near the mourner at the foot of the bed you must try and bear up against this calamity for your daughter's sake sir joseph for my daughter's sake sir joseph repeated huskily as the doctor crept noiselessly from the room leaving him alone with the dead yes for my daughter's sake poor marie she was nobody's daughter a working man's child a waif whom i adopted and loved i was very fond of her my god my god he let his face fall forward on the coverlet at the edge of the bed and sobbed aloud even yet though she was lying there cold and motionless though that which had been marie arnold lay within touch of his hand 
he could not realize the fact of her death barbarously murdered and three hours ago he had been walking up and down his drawing-room grumbling because she was late for dinner this morning at breakfast she had opened his newspapers for him opened and cut them and folded them the way he liked and had laid them before him bringing her glossy dark hair close to his face as she bent to place the evening paper in front of his breakfast cup he had never doubted that he loved her but he had never known till now how dear she had been great god he cried springing to his feet bring me face to face with the man who killed her there should be no mercy oh let me see him held fast in the grip of the law let me be sure that he shall swing for it he rushed out of the room ran downstairs and out the terrace like a madman urquhart the daughter the doctor and the stableman were all clustered together talking excitedly but in undertones have they found the murderer asked sir joseph going up to them nobody can know that yet a while sir have they found anyone arrested anyone yes they have taken brandon mountford to the lock-up answered urquhart brandon mountford repeated sir joseph in blank amazement a low wailing cry sounded like an echo of sir joseph's ejaculation and a slim white figure rose out of the neighboring dusk and came towards the group of men it was sibyl who had been forgotten in the horror of marie's mysterious death she had been sitting in the darkness unobserved unthought of while the heavy footsteps crossed the terrace and went up the stairs with their dismal burden she came to her father's side and laid her hand upon his arm father you won't allow such a shameful thing to be done you won't let them bring disgrace upon mr mountford your friend your guest what could he have to do with her death you'll send you'll go to the village and insist upon his being set at liberty liberty instantly you will won't you father it is a disgrace to us that such a thing should have happened our guest my kinsman so shamefully insulted for her vehemence took her father by surprise he had never seen his daughter strongly moved before knew nothing of her capacity for deep feeling my child it's no business of mine no interference of mine could have prevented it brandon mountford it's a mistake no doubt he could have had nothing to do with her death but she has been murdered sibyl foully murdered she has been murdered and the ruffian who killed her must be somewhere close at hand perhaps in hiding it was folly to arrest brandon mountford and to give the real murderer a time to get away why was he arrested he put it into coxon's 
head to do such a thing. Dane knows more about it than I do, answered Urquhart. He can tell you. Dane told his story with an air of conviction that chilled Sir Joseph's blood. It was inexplicable, a hideous mystery. Sir Joseph and his daughter heard how Mountford had been found kneeling beside the corpse, his hand and clothes stained with blood, his manner agitated, hopelessly confused, unable to give any account of himself during the hours in which he had been missing. He was more like a lunatic than a man in his right senses, concluded Dane. Sybil heard and remembered Brandon's words of only a few hours before. He had painted in strongest phrases the horror of his hereditary malady. He had told her that there was no limit to the dark possibilities of that dread disease. He knew not what phase it might assume. It might be murder. Yes, those were the very words which he had spoken when he tried to cut himself off from her sympathy. A doomed wretch, worse than a leper, since with him physical malady might pass into moral delinquency, a creature beyond the pale of human love or friendship. And now she heard how he had been found with blood-stained hands beside the murdered girl, uneven, unable even to assert his innocence, allowing himself to be led off to jail without protest or remonstrance. He seemed to take it all for granted, said Tom Dane. End of chapter 10